Hello and welcome to the Cold Chain Podcast, the podcast for everything to do with the business of moving and storing temperature cold products in the UK. I'm Shane Brennan and I'm the Chief Executive of the Cold Chain Federation. I've got the privilege of representing and speaking to businesses from across this vitally important sector of the UK supply chain. If you're enjoying our podcast, please make sure you subscribe on your favourite podcast app and tell your friends about us. This episode is recorded to coincide with Cold Chain Energy Week. It's actually a week when we should have been hosting our first Energy Summit, a conference to be held in Manchester, now postponed to the 18th of November. I came to this industry two years ago, and when you start a new role, especially one in a new industry, your first job is to get out on the round, out and about and around and see for yourself what the industry is and who, how it operates and what the major challenges are. And of course, there is COVID-19 and Brexit that are hard to see past right now. But if you do and you look into the middle distance, there is one issue that stands out. And that's climate change. I don't mean that in an extension, extinction rebellion, we must all live in a self-sufficient commune sense, but in the context of scarcity of resources, increased costs and tougher regulation. Nowhere is that more acute than on the, on the issue of how we generate, source and use energy. Leaving the conversation about this is a core purpose of the Cold Chain Federation and hence our Cold Chain Energy work and our Energy Week in particular. In that mission, we have allies, and I'm delighted to be joined by one of the strongest of those today. Dr. Rob Lamb is the Sales Director of Star Refrigeration, and therefore is even better placed than I am to share insights into how the UK cold chain is facing up to the energy challenge. Hello, Rob. Hi, Shane. Hi. Can you start off just by um, if uh, just telling our listeners a bit about yourself and your role at Star Refrigeration? Yes, thanks, Shane. Yes, um, yeah, I started uh, with Star back in 1998. I'd uh, actually done a degree in chemical engineering, and uh, at the time, in 1995, uh, looked through the job market and decided that the best thing for me to do was stay in a university. And whilst at university, I had the opportunity uh, to study under a uh, previous president of the Institute of Refrigeration, actually, and look at uh, energy savings in uh, uh, refrigerant selections for different applications. And uh, it was a quite a different uh, path that I was thinking of when I first did my chemical engineering degree but actually got me interested in refrigeration and uh, at the end of that I was uh, fortunate enough to get a job uh, was a technical sales engineer with Star Refrigeration and I've been there ever since so uh, yes uh, 22 years later um, I've had different jobs within the business uh, starting in uh, in our Derby office as a as a, tr- as a trainee uh, sales engineer then uh, moving up to Glasgow, spending some time in our head office, down to our Oxford office, and through that time moving into a sales manager's role and uh, and a sales director's role, and the role I've got now, which is a, a group role covering uh, the various aspects of our business um, and uh, also covering our marketing as well. Yeah, from my experience, 22 years is actually quite a short time in the cold chain. There's a lot of long, long, long-standing people around in our in our industry, which is a, which is a good thing. Um, can you use a bit, a bit more about Star Refrigeration itself, Rob? I mean, obviously you're one of the the, the leading uh, refrigeration uh, uh, service provider in the UK. Is that right? Yes, in terms of uh, of our focus, very much uh, in industrial refrigeration, and uh, this year is actually our fiftieth year. Uh, so we actually started in 1970. We were uh, we are a privately owned company. Uh, the three directors set it up at that time, and uh, and since then we've grown. Uh, literally from somebody's house to a to a uh, business that has uh, nine regional branch offices, a head office in, in Glasgow where we are also have two factories, and uh, we also have a, uh, a, a another business which makes uh, freezing equipment in Lowestoft. 
We've got other uh, interests as well. Um, we've got a, a new start over in the US, which uh, is looking to uh, sell up and uh, provide some of our low-charge ammonia technology uh, into the cold chain over there. So in terms of our marketplaces, the areas that we that we work in is, is cold chain has, has been the stalwart of that really uh, since the very beginning. We've uh, been supplying refrigeration to the cooling uh, uh, cooling food sources and uh, distribution warehouses and food factories and grown on the back of that. So uh, our regional offices were set up as we grew our customer base throughout the UK. And um, that means that we uh, we now have those nine offices, which are from all the way up in, in Aberdeen, uh, which serves the north of Scotland, uh, even up as far as the Shetland Isles, all the way down to um, offices in, um, in the London area and also down in Bristol. And all of those are, are providing engineering support, uh, sales support and technical support across the UK. But very much our focus and, and really one of the key interests here is, is our focus around energy. It has been since the very beginning of the start of the business. Uh, one of our key values in the business is, is better for customer. And we see reducing energy costs as one of those key areas where we can deliver value. Because in many cases, particularly in the cold chain, uh, a large proportion of the energy that they consume on their uh, on their sites is down to cooling equipment. So if we if we can play our part by reducing that as much as possible, then uh, we're delivering what is best for our customers. Yeah, and I think that that sort of message that really comes through in a lot of the stuff you've been doing recently. That's probably my quote. Before we get on to that in detail, one thing that strikes me being around yourself and your colleagues in Star Refrigeration is that. Obviously, you are a competitive, successful business in the space, but you do seem to have a culture in your business of wanting to do the right thing and have a kind of a bigger, sort of more sort of corporate, with want of a better word, corporate social responsibility agenda about how you do things. Why, why do you think that is? It's been built into the values of the, of the company from the very beginning. Um, and, uh, you know, throughout that period of time, it's been instilled in the staff that work there. You know, better for customer um, is, is really one of the key things that, that that is uh, instilled into everybody it's, it's really looking at that bigger picture and uh, you know what's going to be of value to our customers and uh, we've we've also got um, you know a, a very strong focus on uh, aspects of health and safety and and legislation as well um, so that comes out in again in one of our uh, core values as a business in terms of we're, we're trying to to ensure that we're looking after the health and safety of our own staff, the health and safety of our customers, making sure that we're, we're complying with regulations, but also keeping our customers compliant with that as well, because that's an ever-changing area. And their businesses have many bits of legislation and reg uh, regulation that they have to uh, deal with. We're the specialists in our area, and we, we really look to, to provide the best um, uh, information, best advice to them in that. So that's really in, instilled in us in, in, in the various key values within the business. And we, we try and um, communicate that uh, amongst the bus uh, across the business as, as best we can on a, on a daily basis through the conversations that we have. So, you know, when we're, we're having conversations within the business, it's often referencing some of these values. So why are we doing this? Well, it's better for customer. You know, why is it? Why are we doing this? Because it's keeping us safe and legal. It's keeping our customers safe and legal. You know, so that, that's it is. You know, you learn that from a very early age, um, uh, time with the business, should I say? And having been there, you know, in the 22 years that I have, you know, it, it, it's always been, um, you know, from the very first day that I started till now, it's it's always a case of reinforcing that with people. And despite the fact that we're now over 350 people in the business, it still has a very um, 
family orientated, very close community of people. And, and that's a real challenge when you spread out across multiple locations um, in this country and, and, and overseas as well. But it, it's, it can be very, very difficult. But it's something that we very, very are very, very focused on. You don't really come across, and it's a credit to you and the team that you do that. Just, just one specific, because it's really hard to go do any conversation at the moment without asking about specifically about COVID nineteen. Obviously, one of the conversations that you and I had at the outset of this was really making sure that people understood the critical role of, of uh, refrigeration engineers as key workers. So, how have you been sort of working as a business to sort of keep your people safe and keep an operation going through this time? Well, first of all, Shane, I must thank you for, for um, the help that you provided that, you know, the, the, the fact that we that our, our um, particular company and that part of the industry is recognised as a, as a key worker has been very important over this time. But at the very outset of this, um, as a board of directors, we, we sat down and we, we, for, we formulated a plan of, of what we were going to do moving forwards. And going back to those key values, as, I, as I've men already mentioned, um, keeping people safe and legal was the um, you know at the paramount to our plans so uh, we, we've met since the uh, since before lockdown actually twice weekly uh, and we've looked at plans we've looked at staff we've looked at uh, the risk assessments the method statements for everything that we do uh, we've looked at how we can um, put plans in place to keep our staff safe we try to keep ahead of what we've been seeing coming out of government um, and through um, uh, through the things that we've put in place, making sure that we've kept the social distancing in place, making sure that we've, you know, the hand wash that our engineers have the, the necessary protection on site. Uh, and the positive news from that is throughout this process, we've been able to keep um, the majority um, of our staff operational. Even our field staff have been operational. There have been a, a few instances where um, we've been had to step down from sites because sites have been closed from construction point of view, but actually then working closely with our customers in terms of understanding what their plans are, trying to work with them to develop plans um, so that we can adhere to their plans and in, in, in many cases actually sharing um, ideas um, across businesses as well. But it, it's it's been a it has been a challenge and uh, continues to be a challenge and. Um, just in a, a conversation I had today, you know, what we're saying is we feel that we've learned so much, but we've got so much still to learn. You know, we're, we're going through a process and we will be, um, you know, into, into the future with all of this. But yeah. Uh, so well, well done to you, Robin. Well done to all the team for what you've been doing. One specific is probably worth putting on record right now. I think I've seen you saying recently, and it's an important message to get out now, that people that had been pausing maintenance and activities because of COVID-19 restrictions on access to their facilities, we really are urging you now to get back up and running with that and not allow that to continue much longer because there are obviously bigger risks at play if you're not sort of allowing the engineers on site to do the necessary maintenance to make sure your equipment is in good order. Is that right? Yes. I mean, there's... There's um, obviously various, going back to that, you know, uh, keeping compliant um, side of things, those things haven't changed. And whilst um, certain activities have been put on, on hold due to COVID and due to the risks associated, maybe carrying out certain um, things, the intention um, needs to be to get back and do that as when, you, when it's safe and safe to do so um, from a social distancing point of view, from a COVID point of view. So we've been encouraging um, our customers to make sure that they're keeping up to date um, on what they need to do and then come contacting us if they need advice on what can be done, when it can be done 
and the likes. But yes, this this isn't a time to pause with your um, regulatory um, requirements on a site. You, you need to keep on doing that. And m most tasks can be done safely. Yes, it does need a little bit more planning than maybe usual, but um, we are we are able to carry out pretty much the majority of what work that we would typically do. Great, thanks, Rob. Now let's um, let's move on now. To talk about our kind of subject for the for the day and subject for this week. Um, obviously, Culture Energy Week um, is very much delivered in partnership with yourselves, Star Refrigeration. Um, and you said a little bit about this already, but can you just reiterate why you support initiatives like this, sort of that wider industry education piece around the importance of energy management and energy efficiency? Yeah, as I say, from the from the very onset of the business, it's been at the heart of what we do. We've always wanted to deliver something that is is best value for our customers. And um, actually, when you look at the breakdown of costs, um, particularly in terms of refrigeration, about 60, 70, in some cases, 80 percent of the cost of a refrigeration system over its life cycle is down to energy. And so actually getting that right in day one is the most important thing, because you, you may design something to be efficient uh, the day it's installed, but maintaining its efficiency throughout its life is what's going to deliver best value to the customer. And we've been been focused on that as I say from the very onset of the business and over the years what we've done is developed more and more solutions that become increasingly focused on that particular aspect and um, in terms of, of more recent stuff that we've done so uh, we've got um, somebody speaking this week on our, on our ethos product John Clark's going to be speaking on that and that really is very much focused around trying to optimize refrigeration systems that are in operation there's often, as I say, a very great focus at the very outset of a designing a refrigeration system that, that it's efficient. But very few people actually go back to see what it's doing six months, a year, five years or 10 years later. Is it doing exactly what it should be doing? Yes, people might be doing maintenance, but are they actually focusing on the efficiency of that particular system? And what we've tried to do is develop a tool where, where today we can take data from sites um, very easily using um, broadband connection. And we can collect, collect that data in. We can analyze it. What we do is create what we call a, a digital twin. We basically mimic what that site is doing and what it should be doing from a simulation point of view in terms of its operation. And we actually look at where the differences are between actual performance and what it should be actually doing from a, from a design perspective. And that's, that's been a real drive for us because what we're recognizing, and actually COVID's brought this to the very fore, is that the more that you can do analysis of, of systems off-site, um, and actually find out where there are any issues, where there are any problems, what work needs to be done, the less you have to actually be on site. And from an environmental point of view, not just a COVID point of view, if you send engineers to site, you're creating carbon emissions. If you're allowing plant to operate inefficiently, you're creating excessive carbon emissions. You know, refrigeration needs energy, but it's optimizing it and trying to, to minimize that. So that's been a very strong focus on that. And, um, you know, that's, that's a core bit. We, we developed our, our first sort of monitoring and control system back in uh, 1983, believe it or not. Uh, we were one of the very first to do that. It was soldering EEPROMs onto circuit boards at that time. Things have changed a lot since then, and, and now we're talking about the cloud. But there's, there's been a lot of changes over that time. But, it's, but again, it's one of those things that's been instilled into the business um, over, its, over its 50 years of, uh, of being here. And I think one of the most, sorry. just on that, one of the most compelling things I heard very, very early on in my time in Coltrane Federation, I spent some time with Gary Tilburn, who's obviously well-known in the industry as the um, person behind uh, some of the success at Reed Bordell for very many years. 
he was sort of one of the sort of pioneers on the operational side and really the key to what he was doing there was just basically doing what you just said which is keeping a day in day out monitor on how they were using their refrigeration equipment and keeping treating energy as a something that they were monitoring and doing day in day out and they were seeing transformational levels of savings from that and that was putting them ahead of everybody else at that time and i think it's still probably the same challenge today to get people the tools are better today um, than they were 20 years ago but it's still that attitude and behavior to want to want to do it and to value doing it i guess and do you think do you think that's a still a barrier for businesses out there yeah i think uh, we, we've we've seen more and more people having an interest in that there's more and more people taking some ownership of it um but um I think one of the one of the th things that came across to us is is actually do you know what your energy bill is, um, and do you know whether that's good, bad, or indifferent? And um, one of the other things that this just just more recently that we've been very focused on is is actually looking at some form of benchmarking of that and looking at at energy and and where do you get that information from? Well, there's been some good studies done. There was a, a best practice guide written back in the 90s, actually. Uh, for the industry in terms of what your energy consumption should be per cubic volume of your store per annum. And more recently, there was a, a significant study done, pan-European study, um, of something like 30,000 different facilities. That data was all collected, and, and we've been looking at the information from that and trying to find a way of actually benchmarking facilities so that when an oper when a coal store operator comes comes to us and gives us their energy data, they, they get a feel of, of am I in the right place in terms of my energy or not? And it's really surprising when you look at that. Some people are really pleased with, with how well their stores are performing. Other people recognize that there is more to be done. But actually, from that particular piece of work, the other thing you find out is what is the size of the prize that's available? You know, for my facility, if I actually had something that was, was operating more, more efficiently and in line with what the technology is today, what does that mean to me? And... From a, from a cost point of view, what I find from talking to facility owners is behind labor and behind transport, energy is their biggest cost. So anything you can do to that to, to, um, to improve things improves the profitability of the business. And um, what, we can, what we can actually see is that uh, by moving um, and improving that efficiency, we can be saving tens, if not hundreds of thousands of pounds on facilities. But people often don't know that because they don't, they don't benchmark themselves. They don't understand where they where they sit in the grander scheme of things. Sometimes, even within the same business, from site to site, that's not even done. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, obviously, it's, it's an obvious thing to say, but it's important to keep reminding ourselves that the drivers here are cost more than they are this sort of environmental responsibility angle. But actually, as time moves on, the customers that you're serving in the cold chain, whether that's internal within your manufacturing business or or, or grocery business or whatever, or your three PL. You are you are needing to show your your environmental credentials and showing that you are taking seriously energy efficiency is a really good way of doing that. And I guess the tool that you're providing is a way to show that in real time with real hard data, isn't it? Yes, and, and what it actually does is it, it gives you um, it gives you both a, a cost saving um, angle to it, but also then provides data in terms of um, carbon emissions. So. You're, you're covering both of those angles. You're, you're saying, well, this is the this is the hard cash, but this is actually from an environmental perspective. This is the this is the um, the CO2 saving associated with that, and that's that again is is one of those areas is, is um, from an environmental point of view has been at the focal point within our industry. Things like the F gas regulation, 
and that is driving more people um, into looking at what the emissions are from their plants, both in terms of energy, but also in terms of gas emissions. And from an environmental point of view, more people are moving towards um, naturally occurring fluids, such as um, CO2 and uh, ammonia, um, and looking certainly to reduce the, the global warming output of their refrigeration systems, whether that be the fluid or whether that be the energy um, electricity side of it. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Can I can I just sort of take to conversation on to another thing? One thing that really sort of I'm sort of grappling with in my work, and obviously we've got Tom Southall, our policy director at Coltrane Federation as well, and one of the sort of tasks I've given him, and he's supported by Star People as well, is what does what what the future look like for the coal chain? You know, in a world where the kind of environment we're operating in is the new net zero world, the 2050 objective of achieving that, what does that mean for coal chain? And I guess one of the questions that sits within that is, what's the technology story of the next 20, 30 years going to be? Are we in a situation where if we sort of, with a reasonable expectation, there's going to be technology game changes coming down the road? Or is it about the technologies we have now and being able to use those in the most effective way possible? Or is it a balance of the two? What, what, do you, what would you say that the answer to that was? I think there's, there's, there's a, um, a blend of the two, really. Um, there is always the development of, of new technology and of new um, system designs. Um, also, a, a completely different approach into, into taking, uh, into providing your cooling. Um, at the same time, what I, I read in a report recently um, in relation to COVID, actually, this this idea of, of actually doing more remote analysis of systems. Um, so I, I can see data uh, being more and more important in um, in the industry as we move forwards. And certainly that's what one of the approaches that we're taking is actually collecting more data, analyzing more data and, and using that in a in a constructive way. Um, in a way that is actually reducing carbon emissions for for the um, for the coal chain, um, but there have been there have been technologies that have been implemented within the um, industry, whether it be at a component level or whether it be at a system level, that are helping to drive those down. Um, you know, a big push for us at the moment is actually every um, cold store operator, chill store operator is chucking away hundreds of kilowatts, if not megawatts, of energy, and if we can find ways of capturing that energy in a sensible way and actually converting it into a slightly higher temperature, we can utilize all that energy and provide heating uh, for the districts around us, uh, whether that be an industrial estate, whether that be a, a housing estate in the, in the general area. But rather than just chucking all that waste heat off into the sky um, and into the atmosphere, why not actually capture that? Because if you actually do that, the incremental increase in energy that you're putting in to boost waste heat from a refrigeration plant into something that can create uh, hot water um, that, that could be used for home heating and, and for, um, for washing, it's, it's relatively small. And in fact, the ratio of energy that you have to, additional energy you have to put in um, is probably um, probably around 15 percent of what you would do if you were burning gas. Yeah, and that's that's what we're going to be covering um, um, on the Wednesday Wednesday uh, session, isn't it? That that kind of specific issue of renewables, and I think I pick up that some of the most excited most the most excitement I'm getting from some of my guys is around the idea of heat and, and repurposing of heat as a as a way, rather than that. Although I still think there are opportunities as well in just sort of straightforward generation opportunities like solar and, and anaerobic and those kinds of things as well, um, fitting into the mix. Um, on that point, one of the things I think one of the debates 
or sort of the perspectives I, I come across from the members is there are those that sort of buy into the idea of being more efficient. So they're buying their electricity in the way they buy it now or their gas, but particularly electricity. And they are um, and they want to use less of it. And that will bring down bear down on their costs. And that's that's the business case for them. There are others that say, look, it's impossible to become a net zero. You know, we're not playing that game is, is, is not the right way to approach cold chain. We are ultimately a high energy intensive business. Therefore, we need to take more ownership over what we generate. And and that being the mission. Again, how would you see the balance and trade off between those two kind of perspectives? It's, it's, a, it's a good point in that, that it is an energy intensive um, industry. But at the same time, what we've seen from doing some of the work that we've been looking at in terms of energy usage for sites is that there, there is a big gap that can be in, uh, improved on. So uh, there's plenty of uh, that plenty that can be done to actually take a, an industry that yes is energy intensive but actually optimize it um, when you when you see consumers that are three or four times over what we're now looking at as sort of best practice for modern day equipment you've got a big gulf that you can you can fill there and from that what you can say is well you could actually reduce your energy consumption by 20 30 40 50 even 60 or 70 percent um, in terms of what you're doing at the moment so you can make strides in terms of getting in that right right direction. Um, and they, I think that's what, first of all, you might need to understand the position that you're in and how where, where you could actually get to in terms of improvement and actually start on that journey and set some pretty high bars. You know, if you set a low bar, it's dead easy to get over. But if you set a high bar, you're constantly trying to achieve towards it. And I think actually what we've seen from that benchmarking is there's a lot that can be done within this industry to actually get the, the emissions down. And if you can actually do that, there's both there's a massive environmental impact that you can have in terms of improving um, the environment for the next generation and commercially as well. It makes a lot of sense. I totally, uh, and we see that from the climate change agreement. Obviously, we run the industry climate change agreement. And the data we gather through that shows us just how different the performance is at different ends similar sort of size buildings and operations with very different energy uh, consumption uh, uh, performance but i guess one of the challenges that comes up in that is about age of facility and just the fundamental that says if your facility is 40 50 years old um, then it's unlikely to be anywhere near as efficient as one that was constructed in the last five years um, and is it does it get to a point where actually to achieve those sort of 20, 30, 40 percent improvements, what you're effectively saying is knock down and rebuild this building in order to make it efficient? Is that is that really the story of it? Is that the sort of the big challenge of the next 20 years of the cold chain, building a lot of new, better, more efficient, more better insulated, better performing buildings? I think when you when you um, yeah, one of the things to look at is, is where is the energy um, being used um, used up you know what what is what is causing you to run your refrigeration uh, more than you, you should be and there's different aspects um, into all of that yeah the, the actual state of the material of the of the facility um, you know one of the biggest um, users of, of, of refrigeration is, is the amount of air that is infiltration in, in, into buildings you know what are the state of the doors what are the state of the fabric what's the air leakage on the fabric and if you if you can actually look at what your consumption is where it sits in terms of a benchmarking process and then start to look at what is causing that um, you know refrigeration is a contributor to the to the running of a facility and the cost of running a facility um, but actually if you can eliminate some of these uh, these uh, heat loads that are going into buildings 
that are causing the refrigeration to plant to run more by actually some of the operational things that you're doing in there as well as, as actually some of the, the, the state of the, the facility, then you can actually break it down into chunks and deal with those individually. Now, in, in, in certain cases, it, it may be that the, the actual material of the building um, is, is beyond a point that you can, you know, you do need to do something with it and, and repair it. Um, it could be that your refrigeration has got to a point if it's certainly if it's down to the 40 and 50 year old then it's done really well and it's probably time that it it, it needs uh, it needs replacing but actually break it down into chunks and, and see are there are there big chunks that you can you can bite off and actually address and can you actually do that over time because you, you yes if, it, if you just think i've got to do the whole lot in one go then it's going to be a lot of money and it's going to be a scary thing to think about but can you break it down what it, what is the uh, what is the major contributor to the issues that you've got and how do you deal with that and then just break them into chunks and deal with them a, a bit at a time there may be facilities where ultimately at the end of the day it, it, it is the case of yes because of the, the just the general state of that facility then it's at the end of life but we've seen many facilities that are of that age that have been through several refits and are um, you know still providing um, efficient operation for their um, for their owners um, today. Brilliant. Thank you, Rob. I think the message is coming through loud and clear on that around the importance of efficiency and energy efficiency. And we'll be focusing on that a lot during our, our, our webinar sessions next week and also our event in November. I've got a kind of closing question for you, Rob, um, which is really about, and I ask it to everyone who's involved in the sort of consultancy and service provision side of our industry. How do you think, what's your advice to a kind of cold chain operator about how to get the best value and the, you know, the best outcome from a relationship with an organisation like yourselves and a an expert or, uh, provider of information and advice and support like yourselves? How, how, how do you see those relationships working best? I, I think it's very much just working in partnership with each other and working together to, to, for the best of both other businesses and a, an open and an honest relationship with that i think has always been beneficial in in the history of our company the relation, close relationships we have with uh, with many end users have been built on working together working on a um, on trust together and actually um, sharing what the challenges are that we're both facing and actually how can we both work together to resolve them so yeah working working closely together and, and actually building that up over time um, and you know as things progress over time um, you, you actually, you, you, it helps both businesses in terms of, uh, uh, you know, of achieving their, their, their targets, their growth, their strategy, whatever they may be. So yeah, closely working together, working in partnership on, on, on projects is we do that on a regular basis and find it rewarding for both sets of parties because, uh, uh, they, they get the value that they're looking for, um, uh, rather than, uh, it being, a um, uh, where where you, it's often if you're just in sort of a, a situation where you're uh, a successful bidder out of many um, to a, somebody else that's been bidding other things, it's you're too far removed and you don't really necessarily understand what is what is right for the for the end user. Um, so yeah, and many of those relationships we've had are 30, 30, 40 years old that have been built on the back of the business. That really struck me, and, and thank you very much, Rob. I guess my reflect closing reflection on it is. You know, you've got to show interest in this stuff. There's a culture in your business. If you're not interested in how you're keeping stuff cold, if you're not keeping it on top of the data about it, if you're not thinking about the next five, ten years of how your facilities are going to operate, you're going to be you're going to be the be losing out. So you're going to find yourselves um, being overtaken by those that are. So, so that would be my kind of overarching kind of 
message that we'll be reinforcing through Culture and Energy Week um, when we are in our sessions on Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday at 10 o'clock. Um, look out on the website and stuff for how to register. Um, thank you very much to Star Refrigeration, not just Rob for today, but just for the ongoing support you show our Federation through this event, through the Energy Summit we're going to have together in November and through Cold Chain Live, uh, the conference that we'll be holding together um, in the next few months. Um, so thanks. that's the end of our podcast for today. Thank you very much for listening. As I said, if you do enjoy the content you're hearing, please subscribe. That helps us to rise up the ranks in the uh, in, in the relevant charts and it helps more people to find us. Um, we've got some really exciting conversations coming up with John Miles from New Cold, from Gavin w uh, Williams from XPO, and a whole range of others. So um, thank you very much, and um, we look forward to hear you being with us again soon.